0: A duplex I bought um, up in Newy, uh, Newcastle. Um, I paid six hundred and thirty thousand dollars for a built duplex, so two properties. They were on one title. I split the title. I paid the registration costs. I split the title. I created two titles, two properties, two houses side by side. Um, the value of the asset went from. 630,000 to 830,000. So I made $100,000 on each home. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show a Code Cracker, we're going to dig into the idea that equity matters, and we are going to work out how to equity farm. Yes, we're going to create equity from today's show. We're going to look at some of the strategies, the pros and cons of those strategies when it comes to accelerating your wealth through buying real estate and creating equity out of the real estate you buy. Everyone's looking for this little secret sauce, which is often called inherent or instant equity. Can we make money by adding value to real estate? Today's show is all about the idea that strategies matter in real estate. And I want to give you my Forex game plan when it comes to buying real estate? Well, we're going to go into a component of the 4x growth plan to discuss how you can create equity. Hey, I tell you what, if it's your first time tuning into the show, you have come to the right place because this show is all about tips and strategies on real estate. And of course, all my episodes I've done are lessons on real estate. So feel free to go back if you like. And as listeners know, Make sure you play in, play the show in double speed. I don't sound crazy or like a chipmunk. I think it's important to get your life back. You don't want to spend the next hour with me uh, going slow, so speed me up. Hey, guess what just happened to me? I just fell out of a tree. Yes, I was practicing neighborhood parcours, uh, or parkour, however you say it in French, which is the idea of jumping around. Uh, My business partner, Jason, is a avid rock climber and uh, he's been inspiring the idea of climbing. Uh, He has a goal actually to commentate at the 2032 Brisbane Olympic Games as the commentator for the indoor rock climbing sport, which is just amazing. Like, uh, I think that's just awesome that You know, he's going down that road. He's so into it. In fact, he's getting gigs at the moment, um, basically with Rock Climbing Federations to um, commentate on, yeah, all sorts of rock climbing events. So amazing. Uh, And he inspired my climbing. And yes, uh, I was telling my wife as a youngster, I was a monkey. I could climb anything. Um, once in London, I was trying to date a girl, and like she liked me, I like her, and I stumbled home a little bit intoxicated. and she lived on the eighth floor of an apartment complex, and foolishly, I actually climbed up a drain pipe, to the eighth floor to tap on her window and do the Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let your hair. And she was, she was blown away. I was blown away. I, in fact, by the fifth floor, I was like, what am I doing? This is crazy. I can't go down. I can only go higher. Uh, so I thought I could still climb. And uh, I was showing my wife, my climbing abilities and, and actually fell off a tree So I've got this massive bruise on my leg. I mean, I'm so sore, like my leg's blue. So I can't climb. Uh, My business partner's a climbing commentator. And uh, today's show is about creating your own equity, which I think is uh, absolutely one of the puzzles when it comes to property investment. Now, I will caveat the idea of creating equity kind of sometimes fools people into doing unnecessarily real estate deals. I think the idea that, you know, we can buy something, make a little bit of money is so attractive to people, but never underestimate the value of long-term investment. In fact, I think a lot of people cheat themselves out of the opportunity to make a lot of money out of real estate by overcomplicating it with doing extravagant deals which uh, just put them in a position where they own kind of blunder real estate. It's not always the case, but we tend to, I guess, uh, underestimate the results of long-term investing. We quite often, I guess, uh, almost like over- exaggerate what we can achieve in a year in real estate and we often get disappointed with what we can achieve in a year from real estate and then we undervalue what we can achieve over a longer period of time of in within real estate so It's very common in real estate to adopt a buy and hold strategy. I'm a big believer in buy and hold real estate because if you track the mathematics of real estate, it compounds on itself. So the longer you typically own a property, the longer the compounding effect of that real estate ownership uh, generally equals a result from real estate. And, you know, I often hear sort of people go, well, you know, I just bought a property two years from now. Did I buy the right property? Um, you know, uh, you know, I haven't got the results straight away from the real estate, you know, maybe I bought a dart and, you know, even on sort of podcasts and things like that, you often hear these kind of commentaries around, um, yeah, the, how the the purchase went. And I think, You know, a lot of it has to come back to the person, not the property. You know, property is technically pretty reliable. What's not reliable is people. People looking for a result out of real estate in six months, 12 months, two years. uh, You know, it is possible. But, you know, do you base your business plan on that? Because real estate is designed to be slow and cumbersome and take time. Areas take time to evolve. Properties take time to grow. So, you know, if you are holding on to a a property and um, it's a good property and it's been three, four, five years, it's pretty normal to get, uh, you know, a, a moderate amount of growth. But over 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, an accelerated amount of growth. And the simple reason is compounding interest. Uh, compounding capital growth, compounding results on the real estate. So never underestimate long-term investment. But today's show is about the idea that making your own equity can be a thing in real estate. And so I like to break down my own personal investment. I'm very open about this, that I personally like uh, blue-chip real estate which is my backbone capital growth real estate. I teach the five properties plan. Like if we can get five really good uh, located properties, um, really good property types, we're well on our way to financial freedom. It doesn't really matter if we bought the properties well, if we paid 10% below what they should be, or we made 10% equity from renovating or whatever it may be. Uh, over the long term, if you just buy really good A, B grade real estate in good suburbs, that is going to outpower anything you can do from an ad value point of view. So I teach the principle, I guess you could call it the property trifecta. We want blue chip assets, then we want cash flow assets, which is just a simple conversation that as we evolve as a property investor as we evolve over time as a property investor we quite often don't need growth anymore because growth is air and there is a point where you can't recycle that growth quite often though what you need is cash flow income producing real estate real estate which pays a return Positive cash flow properties. Now, again, positive cash flow properties quite often conjure up the conversation. Well, to find positive cash flow properties, you have to go to low growing marketplaces where nobody wants to live and get uh, a high rent because there is no real estate that is, you know, genuinely nice in those areas. So if you own something half decent, you're going to get a good rent. That is very true, but that is not a good strategy. What is far simpler in today's marketplace is to find hotspots when it comes to things like Airbnb um, and make sure you redirect your cash flow. I mean, a big part of my journey has been buying assets whereby I can change the trajectory of the cash flow of those assets within two weeks. I can literally put a furniture pack in those properties Um, get them established on Airbnb and within weeks I'll have bookings coming in and within six months I'll probably be uh, in full flight with those assets, right? So dividend cash flow today from the urban world can come through the digital economy, the shared economy, doesn't need you to take huge risks anymore to go out to weird mining towns to find positive cash flow properties. And of course, the final part of the trifecta, if you like, is what I commonly do, which is basically uh, syndication. So team up with other people, we join venture, we develop, and we flip properties doing it that way. And the reason why joint ventures are better, I think, than going it alone is you're just capable of getting exposed to bigger deals with far less risk. Um, You know, the idea of me personally going out and spending $10 million on a development site by myself, I'll be honest, that kind of scares me. Doing it with 20 other people kind of doesn't scare me because it's safety in numbers, um, but it also allows you to buy Much bigger and better deals, where of course the add value of those deals is superior than poking around with a hammer and a nails and you know replacing a kitchen kitchen bench top. So I do it that way. That's just the strategy I've built for myself. I help other people do it. Um, I do blue chip real estate backbone. That's your backbone. I buy that real estate so I can change the trajectory of its cash flow using income producing ways like short stay, executive leasing, the cash flow is superior. Then of course um, with my spare equity which I can't leverage, I basically joint venture with other people and buy real estate with it. Big real estate. Big deals. Big deals equals uh, a far superior result when it comes to real estate. Now, remember, when we're going through a journey as a real estate investor, there's kind of three parts to the puzzle. There's your acquisition phase, which is all about your buying power, how much your LVRs are. It's about acquiring real estate. Then you go into a period of consolidation. This is where you typically pay down debt, sell down assets, and change the trajectory of your cash flow. Of course, then if uh, you go through this transformation of time, 21, 30 years, you'll get to this period of lifestyle from real estate where your home is paid off, where you've got some cash flow rolling in from your properties you have purchased, and potentially you've got lazy equity, which you're doing things like teaming up with other people and doing some trading or flipping of real estate. I like to do that through armchair developing, right? Now, remember guys, I teach this principle called the Forex Growth Plan. It's a simple plan. You guys have heard it many times. Uh, you buy well, you choose a good location great marketplace nice and safe and you use behavioral strategies to get more growth from real estate things like the principle of uh you know uh, a, a really good community uh great elevation of a property views on a property this is kind of all the behaviors that come into real estate what people want from real estate the emotional part of real estate Now, if I was to analyze out of 100% how important deal-making is as opposed to a great location, great market or the behavior of real estate um, along the journey adding a lot of value to the real estate, I would say doing a deal is actually the least important. It is the least important. However, it is probably the most sexy to talk about, hence why it attracts a lot of people when it comes to eyeballs. Like if you look at lead magnets out in the real estate marketplace, a lot of it is like big deals, discounts, um, you know, do a knockdown rebuild, build for profit. All these uh, buzzwords are kind of the language around deal making. And for good reason, because you know people quite often want instant success, instant gratification, and and real estate really doesn't do that. But you know, uh, you know, f- for marketing, um, it will it will get people interested in it, right? So, um, can you make money out of short term flipping? Yes, I just alluded to the property trifactor. We're developing you own real estate for two years. You change. The higher and better use of the real estate, you flip it, you make money. But uh, I'll go through sort of what is possible. I've done a lot of these strategies, um, but just wanted to flag, and the reason I harp on about this is you know, I've been around doing this for a long time, so I kind of understand where you make the money out of real estate. You make the money out of real estate if you're a buy and holder by buying in a really good location, it is going to far outweigh deal-making. Like you could pay 10% too much for a deal because on the day of auction you're overexcited. If it's in a good location, you're going to get forgiven and that location will return you more than that 10%. Uh, Again, like if we look at the overall market, like things like, where to invest, like what kind of city we should be investing in, you know, what kind of infrastructure, what kind of population density, what kind of economic output those cities have. Obviously, that is not only going to provide you growth, but it is going to kind of safeguard your growth. And of course, the the more further afield you go, the more volatility your real estate will incur. And of course, um, then you've got things which just add so much value to real estate, which you could never do with a hammer or nail, right? Uh, you can't, you know, create a view. A view is the view. Uh, you can't, um, you know, improve a place's social status, you know, for streets, highly walkable, a street's highly walkable. In other words, it's close to something. You don't need a car. Um, you know, like the architecture of an asset and the history or heritage of a place, you know, add so much value to real estate, right? The character of an area. So again, like we go into this kind of principle where, you know, a lot of the focus is about how we buy the real estate and the deal type we choose to buy the real estate when really the major amount of growth you're going to get from real estate is boring. It's location. It's the type of niche elements that the real estate location has on offer. It's some of the influences behaviorally you're going to get from real estate by uh, how how that real estate looks and feels and connects with the landscape. And of course, it's the market. You know, the market... Um, does the line share of the work for real estate investors? You know, we've just been through a big stimulus shift, a structural shift in Australian real estate. You know, you could have, you know, uh, it, it far outweighed the growth you would get by, uh, you know, doing a quick little coat of paint and a renovation. Right? It's just the way it is. But deal growth is a thing, and when you buy real estate, if you can buy it well and make a little bit of money, there's, you're absolutely going to be off to the races as long as you connect to a good location, good market and good behavioral growth. Like if you're a buy and hold up, if you're a flipper, then, uh, you know, you're obviously trading real estate and that's a business to itself. And of course, with some of the costs of trading, particularly um, when it comes to stamp duty, taxes, um, capital gains tax, you know, Australia is not the best country to be um, in the business of really buying, trying to hold then flip real estate. It's, It's not designed for that because you get chewed apart by taxes. Yes, you can do it through a development mechanism, but it is still obviously taxed a lot. And the reason why bigger deals are better is just there's bigger margins to accommodate for things like taxes. So you actually can make money. So the amount of people I've seen do sort of home add value strategies, which actually end up adding no value. um, They'd just be better off, uh, you know, not doing that deal and wasting their time, you know, blows my mind. Right. So, let's break down some of the types of deals you can do to add some value in the real estate marketplace. Now, to understand this, you've got to understand other the other people uh, concept. The first one is other people's time. The second one is other people's money. The third one is other people's designs. And the fourth is is really the do-it-yourself section. So if we were to look in the other people's time section of the Forex growth plan, that's things like using uh, pre-construction real estate off the plan. You're basically using time, other people's time, in this case, uh, the vendor's time, to control real estate. You obviously do that with a low deposit, and you control the real estate. Delayed settlement. You might say to a vendor selling, I'll settle in in 12 months. Uh, Again, the purpose of time is you would do that if you thought the market conditions were going to improve, delaying the settlement. Land banking. Again, like uh, a lot of real estate out there is really land value only. And again, um, for a lot of uh, property investors, if they can control that land before they have to activate upon it, uh, if they have to before they have to build on it, and they've got um, a long period of time and the market is going in the right direction, it's obviously a way to squeeze value out of real estate. And so, um, <clears throat> that strategy, if you like, um, certainly is doable, particularly if market conditions are very, very favorable. When market conditions are kind of not favorable for time, you generally use other people's money to add value to real estate by buying it. So, for example, uh, discounts, right? Um, Discounts are an interesting way to make money out of real estate. How do you discount real estate? And I'll talk to you a little bit about that. Then you've got other people's designs. So obviously uh, home builders today have lots of designs of homes. They've spent money with architects designing those properties and they kind of allow you to fast-track the system by using their designs. Uh, You can do things like knock down rebuilds. In other words, you knock down an old home, you build upon it, and there is depending on the market, a lot of time in within the market period where finding uh, basically a property which has just land value left on it and knocking it down and putting a nice dwelling on that asset adds a lot of value to the real estate. So uh, obviously other people's designs is an important one and there is another one which is basically a other people's relationships so jay vang armchair developing this is kind of what i do if you like i sort of work in that space is like where can i find a team of people where we can all create a relationship together we can joint venture together and we can add some value to real estate together because as i say like you know if you want to buy some good real estate quite often it's it's in the millions you know even if you wanted to do for example a renovation on a four million dollar luxury home spend a million dollars pull a sale you know at seven or eight million dollars you're going to need other people to do that with like for the average person that's just not possible by themselves so other people's time other people's money, other people's designs, and other people's relationship. And then, of course, you've got the do-it-yourself section. Do-it-yourself section, you know, people today do things like subdividing by themselves, renovating by themselves, um, and, of course, small development or small-scale development. And all power to anyone who wants to go down that road because um, I've been there and uh, it's quite time-consuming. Just remember, today in Australian real estate, what really matters is how people feel about real estate. Like, do they feel like they want to live in the property? Um, Would they downsize the property? Is the neighbourhood evolving? Uh, Is community forming within the precinct? So just remember, like, capital growth, you know, the long tail of capital growth is buy and hold, the hold part not the buying part. The buying part is the easy part. You buy something, if you get a bit of a deal, that's great. But the hold part, the buy and hold strategy creates more growth than the buying part. This is the principle of buy and hold. The holding part is where the growth comes from and where you create some serious wealth from real estate. Remember, you know, if you were to break down the compounding effect of real estate, the first sort of third of it is low compounding but then the middle third things start to improve and by the final third of your ownership of real estate the compounding effect of capital growth obviously compounds on the first two thirds so uh the longer you hold real estate obviously the better off you're going to be and and i guarantee you if you went around and spoke to people who have owned real estate for 30 years 40 years they paid a can of coke for it and today it's worth a right? So let's go through some of the strategies. Uh one of the first strategies, which is really uh common in Australia, is to want to do a renovation. And uh renovating for profit, if you like, um, again has this kind of concept that, well, um, I can do this from an armchair point of view. And it's not necessarily the case, right? Like like A lot of people who are successful renovators have given up their full-time job to become successful renovators. In other words, uh, let's say they were earning $120,000 a year doing a job. Now they don't do that job. They never liked that job. Now they've also got to make that $120,000, which was their income from being a full-time renovator, plus obviously try and create a bit of a profit from the idea of renovation, renovating. Can you add value to real estate? Absolutely, you can. And, you know, one of the cool ways of doing that is buying a property which needs a bit of TLC. Um, it needs a bit of work. Quite often, properties in Australia are left to, uh, you know, not left in the greatest position when when they're sold. And if you can buy real estate and add some value without overcapitalizing, you certainly can put yourself in a position where that property within a year or two allows you to extract equity out of the real estate. In bygone eras, it was was quite quick, to be honest with you. You could buy a property, um, put some fencing around it, paint it, um, you know, drop, uh, you know, a pretty simple new kitchen into the property and get the valuer back around. And they would quite often push the values for you. Today, responsible lending, you know, obviously there is an element of where that's possible, but for the most part, you know, you need to show there has been some um, real improvements made to the property. Now, uh, I will say that again, like when it comes to some of the hidden mistakes a lot of people have made through renovation where they buy and hold is they renovate too cheap and they kind of have to re-renovate the property when you do a renovation if you are going to buy and hold you fundamentally don't want to come back for 25 30 years so quite often you need materials which are prudent that will last that long and you know again some of the best builders and renovators then like they're not cheap when you employ them because they do a very good job because it's quality based it's like anything if you bought a quality car it's probably going to last longer than uh, a car which is built or bought on the cheap section of the market now again with renovation like you know there are some low cost items that you they're not going to return you any money um Digging up the backyard. It's not going to make you any money uh, and redoing plumbing. Uh, fixing the guttering. It's its like no one's going to pay you more rent or more for your house because you fixed the gutters. So again, like when it comes to renovating, there's kind of like these items which add no sense to your back pocket. And so you've just got to be mindful of, Large renovations can be quite structural. They're more like a development. You know, large renovations are things like getting a DA, uh, doing structural certificates, demolishing things, um, knocking out walls. Um, Often there's a project timeline based around the renovation. Um, You know, often you're doing something which is basically a knockdown rebuild but because the property itself has some character form, you're kind of keeping that. So again, like this is where you're starting to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, half a million dollars sometimes on large renovations. And again, a lot of people put themselves in a position where they've renovated so well, but it makes them no money and actually they lose money. And as a buyer, if you find the overcapitalized asset and just pay for it without having to do the renovation, you can actually make more because the building itself has inherent value from the renovation. So one tip I teach people to look for is overcapitalized assets where the building quality is really, really good based on someone else uh, spending way too much on a renovation the replacement value of that asset sometimes is actually cheaper to buy without actually doing the renovation. It's an interesting twist. Of course, cosmetic renovations are something that all property investors do. Cosmetic renovations are just simple stuff. You know, your property manager could probably handle it for you. Paint, lick of paint. Um, you know, curtains, blinds, lighting, flooring that kind of stuff. I mean, it doesn't need a skilled approach. Generally, what you would be doing those renovations for is to tidy up a property if you were going to sell it, but also tidy it up if you were going to look for more rent from the real estate. So again, like, uh, I'm not a fan of large scale renovations just because I think it can put you in a place where, um, you know, as, as an investor, you're, 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 you don't have a, like a fixed starting point. Like when you're renovating, sometimes you think, well, we'll start, you know, we'll start with the kitchen and then you pull out the kitchen and then you find a problem. And then it's kind of this Pandora's box effect, if you like. And of course, People who do these type of renovations love where they live. They're generally done by owner-occupiers. And again, you just let the owner-occupier do it all, Overcapitalize. People will overcapitalize as those owner-occupiers because they want to enjoy where they live. And then if you can be shrewd, you can just buy their inherent value from them by looking and understanding when things were renovated. So it's kind of a, a much easier approach, I find, than um getting out and about you know trying to to project manage a a large-scale renovation of course you know the lick of paint the coat of paint um better landscaping nicer doors like there's simple things you can do to add value to your real estate you might make a you know a bit of money 50 60 70 80 grand that's great as long as you're doing it in a location where you're going to get future capital growth. That's perfect. And you don't want to renovate stock, which is dying, uh, that the market basically goes, well, why did you just renovate um, that property? Like, you know, you should, you know, you should wreck it. You should put the wrecking ball through it. Because again, you're just throwing more good money after bad. So um, I would be, you know very very wary of the idea of just you know buying a property and then sitting at your laptop trying to renovate it and extract equity out of it um with the hope of you know somehow retiring now personally when i renovate i use the forex growth plan but i create the fifth x which is i buy a property i i, I buy it well uh I choose a good location, I choose a good market, I choose behavioral growth and then I renovate. So 15, 20 years later, I'm coming in to recycle equity knowing that the real estate has always already performed, knowing that I've seen my real estate double in value over a period of time, a cycle, and I measure a cycle over 15 years. I've owned the real estate for 15 years. It's the end of the cycle. Then I rebirth the property. I renovate it. I improve it, and uh, start the cycle again. Right. So you know an example of that is a property I bought here in Sydney, Duly Chill. You know, I paid four fifteen. Um. Uh, today, uh, it's worth you know over a million dollars. Right. So I bought it. Well, I got a discount when I bought it. Um. The market was saying it was worth four eighty. I negotiated a four fifteen. Um, location growth, you know, back in sort of 2011, 12, the location really started to take off because the light rail was connecting Dully chill to the city. It's like, I don't know, eight K's to the city. Um, so then, you know, I went and got location growth from this asset. So the location was giving me more growth and sort of by 2016, I'd had, around uh, you know the property had gone from sort of 415 to 750 and of course the market was growing um, during that period as well and because the real estate uh, was located on top of a park when the market slowed down actually people were still interested in my property my neighbor's property because behaviorally I'd bought a third place a green space by 2018 the property was worth 825 and of course off the back of the most Recent boom, you know, we're well over a million dollars. But again, like the renovation that I've just done, I just basically did it in 2021, was because the property had doubled in value and I'm starting the cycle again. That's the the concept. So the next way, uh, or another way, you could look at adding value to real estate or buying a property and extracting value out of it is subdivision. Subdivision, of course, quite often we conjure the concept of buying a block of land, a large block of land, subdividing it and turning it into two blocks of land, which is true. Uh, Sometimes a lot of Australian real estate, the quarter acre block, if you like, you know, uh, the way it's shaped is it creates battle axe blocks. In other words, you can buy a property if the house is positioned perfectly and there's a way to get out into the back of the property and create a driveway through to the back of the property there may be a spare block of land now probably about 20 years ago when i was investing there was a lot of big blocks around in urban areas and today like there's a few around um but less than what there was uh because obviously development control plans have changed over time. You know, when I was growing up, the quarter acre block was a thing. Um, Today, people are building on blocks of land, you know, 200 square metres. So, uh, you know, the idea of buying a property and subdividing it um, is possible, but you've got to look for large, large land. And of course, that local council area has to um you know obviously confirm that you can actually turn that block into its own individual title now the simple concept if you're not following along is you just buy one property and then you turn it into two properties or you buy one property and you turn it into three properties so you're kind of giving birth to properties and um Again, with the land sizes being shredded across our major urban areas, um, you know, for the most part, you're not getting, I'm not seeing a lot of splitter blocks, which are just basically, you know, you turn, uh, you know, one into two. And this is why sort of our armchair developed now, because all this stuff kind of ran out. And now, you know, I've got to buy basically a huge hectare site and turn it into, you know, 20 blocks of land. Like that's the only way to do it because there are large parcels of land out there, but they they need, um, you know, a bit of workmanship to work through. Recently just did 29 blocks of land in Wyndham West, right? Like like literally had to buy, you know, almost like the size of a small football s- s- block of land to turn it into 29 blocks, now, I would have been happy buying one and turning it into two, but they, they're tougher to find in the marketplace. Not impossible, but again, it's just, just you know, um, obviously what has also unfolded is sellers tend to put a value on that now. Once upon a time, it was very common for a seller to add no value to the subdivision price. In other words, they wouldn't really comprehend that you could even subdivide and they'd put their property on the market. The real estate agent wouldn't put a price on the subdivision value. Today, now the real estate agents are putting prices on the subdivision value. Another way to subdivide is to buy duplexes or triplexes. Basically, built real estate where there's two properties on one title or three properties on one title. Generally, if you can buy two or three, you can still get residential lending. When you buy a block of flats and there's four flats on one title, your loan-to-value ratio drops. So you have to, you know, go and get a loan at 60%. So you might have to put 40% into the deal. When you buy a duplex, you can still get 80 or 90% lending and triplex is fairly similar. So, you know, I was looking at a, a, a fourplex Uh, today um there's one up in townsville uh it was seven hundred thousand dollars for four flats now it's not where i would want to own real estate it's um yeah it's um you know location market behavior probably doesn't tick the boxes for me but it was four properties on one title obviously you need to go and get um you know a You need a bigger deposit to to buy that asset. The banks do not see it as liquid. But you could turn those four properties uh, on one title into four properties on four titles. That's the principle. Now, I'll just explain a duplex I did, right? Um, This is one I did in 2011. I've used this strategy a few times as a trader, uh, originally, probably back in 2002, 2003, I was doing this as a trader. So what I would do, I would buy a block of flats where there was uh, 10 properties on one title. I would go to the council, I would get a town planner, I would turn it into 10 properties on 10 titles. Then I would find 10 buyers for those 10 properties. Uh, in doing so, I'd trade and make money, but as a buy and holder, which is I in, uh, suggest to everyone, is where the money is to be made from real estate, not just a uh, you know trading and 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 so forth. Trading is an add value to a buy and hold strategy. Um, a duplex I bought um, up in Newy uh, Newcastle. Um, I paid. $630,000 for a built duplex, so two properties They were on one title. I split the title. I paid the registration costs. I split the title. I created two titles, two properties, two houses side by side. Um, the value of the asset went from $630,000 to $830,000. So I made $100,000 on each home. But the assets today are located in a good suburb, in a good neighbourhood, nice spot, good, Newcastle's a great place. Um, it ticks the 4X growth plan and today those assets are worth circa 7 each. So 7 and 7 was at 1.4 million, right? So I went from 6.30 to one point four. But the add value part that I did through the duplex split was a small component of the overall growth, if that kind of makes sense. So again, when I bought that asset, the land seller um, really didn't price it in as a duplex block. So the land itself was priced as a single block. Now what is quite common in the market is the seller is on to the fact that you can put two properties there. So they put the land price up so the deal doesn't work anymore. This is the problem with some of these deals in the market at the moment. So uh, you've just got to, you know, understand that some of this stuff is a little bit trickier. You know, if you're going to play this game, you've got to have good funders, good solicitors, good surveyors, town planners, council, probably need god too like it's 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 a bit of work it's a bit of work the old days though you know this is the way things used to roll so for a lot of do-it-yourself people uh they love the idea of developing because developing is the principle that you fast track what you're doing right but um for a lot of people, they trade and really they should hold the real estate. Like if you can develop, you can pay wholesale for real estate, not retail. Right? That's as, as simple as it has to has to be laid out. You can pay wholesale, not retail, because you are the person providing the the real estate. And remember, developing is just about extracting the highest and best use from property as an investment. Now if you think of orange juice or you think of oranges, I just gave away the punchline, what is the highest and best use of an orange? The highest and best use of an orange, an orange is worth, I don't know 20 cents, you juice it and it's worth two dollars, right? You put 10 oranges together, they're worth a dollar you juice it, you're selling that orange juice for 10 bucks, right? It's the same principle when it comes to developing. And obviously, when it comes to small development, um, you know, a lot of people start out with things like duplexes or subdividing or structural renovations. And that that's kind of their groundwork, if you like, for developing. But developing carries risk. There is a lot of risk in developing. There is all sorts of things you come across, like councils want you to get the frog survey. Um, you go, know, what do you mean the frog survey? Or oh, well, there's endangered frogs near that site. Like stuff that you, you know, wouldn't comprehend even exists exists when it comes to going through a development checklist. Um, you know, it it is uh, it is an extreme game. Now, one development I bought was halfway through uh, completion. It hadn't been certified. So back in 2008, GFC hit, some developers choked. Um, I picked up a block of five down Wollongong Way. The developer basically hadn't had the assets certified. Um, I picked it up and at the time to borrow the money to do that development the interest rate was 18% 18% so again like for a lot of people going into that place where you're borrowing money at 18% is bananas right like that is crazy like uh you know people shouldn't do that if their tolerance to money does not make, you know, like if if their tolerance to their financial wealth is in its infancy, you don't go and do things like that. But obviously I'm a professional property investor. I go out, I borrow money at 18%. Um, I take this development. I'm trying to get it certified. All of a sudden, you know, I'm finding, I'm finding all sorts of problems with this thing. But the time all was said and done, properties finally get titles and registered and people buy them like uh i'd lost you know a considerable amount of money um and again like i tell you that story because uh for everything you try and do to extract equity out of real estate there is a risk and certainly not always that do deals pay off if you're going to try and buy real estate with the plan of extracting equity. I guess one way I think uh, is a good way to try and extract equity out of real estate is delaying the settlement. And there's pros and cons to doing that. You know, quite often off the plan is one of the ways to do that. And I'm a, you know, I'm good at off the plan. I'm, I actually think I'm quite good at, The process of buying pre-construction real estate like i just keep it simple you know choose a really good location really good street find something interesting to the market a nice uh, architecturally piece of real estate just make sure it kind of mathematically uh, makes sense Uh, make sure it's priced in line with the secondhand marketplace Um, and you know it it kind of makes money and so has have i run into other people who have put themselves in positions with bad off the plan absolutely like you know buying in the middle of you know docklands with um you know thirty five thousand other apartments being built on the same day or zetland or whatever it is i mean come on like there's some common sense involved here like you go to a an old suburb established you know like high quality neighborhood, you buy something new, which is comparable to the second hand market. You're delaying the settlement. You're making money. That's just the principle of it, right? So delaying a settlement and off the plan, if done well, can make people money. And um, certainly over the last couple of years, people have made some pretty good money out of that kind of process. Um, Interesting. Like I helped a client, by in Collingwood and they use pre-construction off the plan. They're just settling actually at the moment. And uh, you know, beautiful street, Heritage Street. Um, you know, you walk down the street and you're like, wow, like am I back in like 1885 you know um you know some some really good history to some of our suburbs which quite often is overlooked in real estate you know that precinct the foy and gibson precinct i mean the foy and gibson precinct these were australia's first retailers so you're walking through some of the most beautiful heritage australian architecture has to offer and you know interesting story um one of my clients um Bought a property there um, in a in a really architecturally interesting building, pre-construction off the plan, and she bought one for her daughter, and um, her daughter basically was you know basically sixteen years old, right? And you're like, what What do you mean? You're buying one for your daughter? Um, in victoria you can nominate a contract so in other words if if you're unable to settle but you have someone else who can settle you can sort of pass the contract on to that person without stamp duty implications so it's called a nomination and so um the the mum basically for the last two years has been teaching her daughter about money while this building is being built and the the Daughter has been asked to, to save and put, you know, her pocket money away and be responsible. And lo and behold, um, the property obviously registered. The nomination from the mother to the daughter occurred. The daughter um, in her 18th year, um, albeit with a personal guarantee from the mother, is now the proud owner of a rock star property. And you think, wow, like 18, like how blessed would we all be to go through that journey and learn about money at such a young age like we all leave the school system financially illiterate this kid is now owning an asset and you know has learned the power of uh, good money behavior and on top of that the real estate has gone up so she's instant equity at 18 years of age i i think we could run a case study on her come back in 10 years and see what it's all about i think the simplest way to add value to real estate is just buy the damn stuff well right just pay a good price for the property um you know there is so much real estate which is priced in favor of the buyer instead of the seller um if you just you know i'd rather get you know a $50,000 discount than try and do a $50,000 renovation to make $50,000 like I would just simply prefer to use negotiation rather than a hammer and nails like that's just the way I am call me late I just fell out of a tree like how am I going to renovate right Um, and again, it's not to say, you know, particularly if you're like a chippy or an electrician or something, you know, you're probably really good at that stuff. I'm like, my hands are like lady hands, like they're beautiful hands. They've never done anything. Um, so, you know, I'm not doing that stuff. It's as simple as that. And so, um, you know, there's people who are better at that than I am. And if that's your, vibe, go find those people and 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 make sure you listen to their podcast. I'm just briefing you and um a lot of that is based around my personal experiences. But I love discounts. I love like the idea that a vendor you know is going through a tough time and you can get a better price. I like the idea that there is financial stress in the marketplace. There is overcapitalized real estate in the marketplace. There are people bridging buying and selling there is stock that needs to be moved. Um, there is all sorts of ways to price real estate and extract value out of it without necessarily um, you know, paying too much for it. And, you know, just simply a good price coming back a year later, re-examining that price, there is equity to be created. And again, like we're trying to measure this. We want to put equity in. We want to pull equity out. You know we put a hundred thousand dollars in, we secure the property. When are we going to get that one hundred dollars, hundred thousand dollars out to put into potentially another property? Will we actually be able to service for another property? These are all bigger questions than today's conversation, but certainly uh, this is how the Australian investment real estate market generally works. You buy real estate, once you can extract equity, you move that equity and you buy more real estate or you do something else with it, right? The next way to extract value out of real estate is something I like using, amalgamations. Yes, amalgamations. Instead of dividing real estate, you put real estate together, you marry it. You basically create a little marriage. Uh, So of recent times, personally, I'm doing one of these where what I did was I found uh, an off-the-plan building, which I really, really liked. Um, had It has the most amazing views. Like it is just behavioral design is just off its head. Um, you know, obviously with an apartment, if you can get a view line, you're going to make money because that's the advantage of an apartment, you know, is quite often the view line. So I bought a one-bedroom and a two-bedroom. What I noticed in the area is the premium people pay for three bedrooms. The reason being is, of course, the downsizer market um, and family market can live in three-bedroom apartments. They're obviously far more livable for small families and or the downsizer marketplace. Generally, there's less of them. If you want to understand the most undersupplied real estate in Australia today, it's three-bedroom apartments. Um, because there's no supply of them, no supply of good ones. I basically, uh, got a one bedroom and a two bedroom. Um, I just actually walked through the construction of it the other day. Absolutely beautiful. Got the best photos. Um, so how did that come about? So basically what I did, I mathematically, I bought a one bedroom. It was like, Three hundred and twenty-five thousand. I bought a two-bedroom. It was six hundred thousand. So I'm in it for nine twenty-five. And there's comparable sales in that marketplace for three bedrooms over one point two million. So how am I making money? I'm doing a bigger deal. I'm marrying two titles. I've had to pay about eight thousand dollars in council sort of cost for the development to be reconfigured. Uh, the end line value or gross realisation value of the asset is, is over 1.2. Um, so I've paid basically 9.15 plus stamps. So let's call it a million bucks. Um, there's a 20% return in the deal. Technically, I could extract equity out of that deal. I probably won't do that, but I will hold that real estate. The point of that deal is not to necessarily... Um yes I bought well I've made money by doing that strategy but it's more also the location the city and the view or the behavior is just it's going to create more equity it's going to create more growth it's going to work over time I'm a long term buy and holder with this kind of stuff um so for me yeah I made money doing the deal by amalgamations and there's ways to do that as well so again I think it's easier to do it from a Startup uh, concept rather than buy one bedroom and a two bedroom and an existing scheme and knock out a wall. Um, it's just easier by using other people's designs. This is where we go back to this concept: other people's money, other people's time, other people's designs, other people's relationship. I just use other people's design, the uh, architect and and um, draftsman of the seller. And so like, I didn't like literally I just had to pay eight grand and, and I got what I wanted and I can see the value in the marketplace. So um, a really, really good way to think about adding value to real estate. Another way you can add value to real estate is often what we call uh, basically installments, right? And or rent. To buy now, I bought a property up in the Gold Coast. I was um, I was uh, unable to. It was on the market for a little bit of time, um, and we made an offer to the seller that we actually become the renter there, and we could put a small office in the home, um, have some of our team, which live in the Gold Coast, you know, use the property. Um, And for four years, we would rent it and we would have an option to buy it at the end of that four years. Now, uh, the cool part about that deal was, yes, we rented it at market rent. We paid extra installments so that the seller basically ended up um, holding a 20% deposit. So at the time, we couldn't afford to buy the property. Um, we had no lazy equity floating around. So we decided, well, how about we rent the property and we put in trust 20% deposit over a four year period plus pay, plus pay the seller rent. And they agreed. Um, and four years later, uh, we bought the property and um, the property obviously went up in value because it was four years had passed. Um, and the cool thing about that deal is our next-door neighbor wanted to do an amalgamation on us and ended up um, amalgamating our asset. We ended up actually selling it. This was one I did as a joint venture. Um, and we ended up selling it because we got a really good price based on an amalgamation, which is which is an interesting byproduct of that. Um, Looking back I think I should have held that one but it was a it was one way to do it right. So uh, there are ways to buy real estate and extract value using different ideas and of course one of those is the idea of options. Property options. Now an option is just a legal instrument which allows you to control real estate without owning it. It's a very very common in development if you like to option something and uh, then take control of the real estate and basically, but not actually um, own the real estate. Now, options uh, options that I've done, for example, are options where um, I've found uh, a seller, uh, a vendor, if you like, they're sitting on... Um, a block of land. They basically can't develop the block of land because they're just, you know, and Park Kettle. They have, don't have financial um, ability to do it. So what generally happens with an option is you offer people a price uh, more handsome than them, what their property is worth. They grant you the option to form a development application over the land and you incur all the costs to basically uh, push that development through council. Once the development goes through council um, and you feel satisfied that you want to proceed as the option holder, you can then buy out the landowner or the vendor. Um, Or you can even on-sell the option to someone else to buy out the landowner or vendor. So options, again, they're a little bit um, more mainstream when it comes to finding the highest and best use out of a site which has no DA in place. Um, But again, a really good way to extract value out of real estate, but complicated, complicated. And I will say that, um, again, I think unless you're, you know, willing to perhaps work in the real estate industry, things like that are just way, way too complicated for some way to do as an armchair investor from your laptop. Like finding options, knocking on doors, um, it, it's a full-time gig, that stuff. And it can pay handsomely, but again, it's a little bit, outside of most people's comfort zone when it comes to real estate um ownership i think one of the best ways to extract value out of real estate and alluded to this at the start of the show is the knockdown rebuild it's simple right like um real estate you know for the most part you know you extract a a lot of value out of land if if the land value is is good and you can buy land at a good rate. Um, and it's underutilized, in other words, the highest and best use of that property is actually putting a really nice house on the property, uh, quite often you can extract equity out of just building, um, out of buying land and building. And right now, obviously building costs are a little bit pricey, but the the principle um, of just finding a really good suburb with some land content in it and designing a new home just ticks a lot of boxes for me because real estate when it comes down to it as i've alluded to is about three things it's about providing shelter to a tenant it's about enhancing a community and it's about the storage of wealth and i think knockdown rebuild or building building a new home is a great way to do that if you can do it in a tightly held suburb That's the best way to do it. If you don't have the budget for that and you have to go to a house and land community, you're probably not going to knock down anything. You're probably just going to build something. The caveat to house and land communities is you probably want to do it where the community is really, really good and there's some great community schemes. And I think it's fair to say the myth has been busted about, you know, just how much money is being made out of great communities for house and land the last – 3 4 years uh the prices have just accelerated exponentially right so um but you want the good communities because you want the growth to last not just disappear and there's some shit markets out there where there's just homogenous housing right so you want some uh you know if you're going to build and you're going to build in new land estates make sure they're nice uh interesting land estates it's as simple as that really so uh if you're going to knock down rebuild though, like again, um, you know, some some pretty cool things you can do. Now, I live on uh, Sydney's northern beaches. One suburb close to me, you know, is a suburb Seaforth, you know. You can buy – like this is where like big deals start to, to look attractive to me. Like there are some houses in Seaforth where you can buy an old property on a massive block of land for like – just under $3 million. You could spend $2 million on a build and, you know, there is market evidence of an uplift of like $2 million, right? So, again, like, like there are some extremes to this stuff and I just point that out as to understand like generally I'm finding and this is just what I'm finding is – that the bigger deals there is this kind of trading profit if you if you're in the millions you've got margin if you're starting out you just want to you know take it a bit easier when it comes to real estate investment um, and you want some equity you know i'd probably just suggest just buy something haggle a good price make sure the location ticks all the boxes from a macro level, from a niche level. Make sure there's some really good behaviors behind the real estate. Could be north facing. uh, And, you know, make sure it's a a good market for long-term viability. And you're probably going to do what you want to do, which is extract equity to buy more real estate. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. I'll catch you next time on a fun field show. And hopefully my injury, my tree injury will have healed. Uh, adios. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.